time gap, no jewels. We got the next best thing that was available. Made him a new one. Did him what a show. It's blue skies over West London. Some might say because Graham Potter is no more at Chelsea. We're going to get into that. There's so much other stuff going on. The title race, City uh, winning impressively, I thought, against Liverpool. Arsenal winning as well. Um, but there's one obvious place to start uh, in Germany. Yes. It was such a huge story when Nagelsmann was replaced by Thomas Tuchel. And my man, Tommy T, had a really good start. And to help us uh, um, talk through it, what I thought was just an incredible beginning of the game, it's Jan Agafjortov. Jan, 23 minutes in, 3-0 up, two, I thought, craven mistakes from uh, Kobel, a goalkeeper who very rarely makes big mistakes. Uh, are we going to give Tommy credit for this? Uh, yeah, well, you know... We are both big fans of Thomas Tuchel, and I think that is a great signing. He will do them well over, over here. Let's see if he can do an, another Champions League thing that he did with Chelsea, but still. Now, I think we have to give a lot of credit to Kobel. Uh, uh, for, for the people not understanding what the classic means in English, that, that is classic. And it was very classic that uh, the, the number one in the Bundesliga comes to Munich, losing three or four goals as they normally do when they come to Munich, doing a fantastic mistake from a Dortmund player, that being Kobel, but Meccano scoring like from 80 yards or whatever. They were thinking of, I was thinking of Klaus Augenthaler, and people are so not so old as me. He was scoring in Frankfurt like 100 years ago. And, you, and then two, two Thomas Müller goals, typical Müller goals. So there are Kobel, there are two Thomas. I think there are a lot of people to credit, Grabs. Uh- Nadim, um, I, I want to get this from both of you, maybe Nadim first. I, a manager needs time to work, right? Yeah. We all say that. In this case, Tuchel didn't have any time to work because when the time he came in, and the impression was that you're, in that first game after you change, you're, you're, going, to play it, you're going to play it safe. Right? You go back to a 4-2-3-1 system, which is the system most people know. You're going to put Thomas Muller, who supposedly was one of the architects of Nagelsmann's exit. You're going to give him the the, the starting job, the leadership at home, um, even if it means leaving out Jamal Musiala. Uh, he kind of played it safe, and he, that, that gave himself that gave him the best possible chance of, of winning in this game. Yeah, yeah certainly did. And. You know, watching this game it is the classica, as Jan says, but it's very one-sided, especially in Munich. And it felt like that during the game because overall, at the start, I thought Dortmund were doing fine. I genuinely thought they were doing fine. Like the and first ten it, minutes, I thought it was, this is this is going to be a good game, and it's bang, one goal, bang, another goal, bang, another goal, and it's, the game's gone. But to see the the setup that they had with the wingers being inverted, coming inside, getting their shots off, you know, they managed to benefit or to profit from that as well. It's a nice setup, and you would have thought really it'd be a tough game as a new manager to come into Bayern when you're playing Dortmund. But instead, for Tuchel, it's the exact opposite because you know they seem to have this thing over Dortmund's head. And fair play to him; I'm sure he's going to make some changes across the way. But then also, I must say, as far as managerial jobs go, in terms of that group of players and that talent, it's not the worst place to arrive, is it? No, Jan, do you, you agree with the sense that he didn't have time to work? So really, doing the four-two-three-one, playing it safe. And again, I go back to dropping Musiala. It's not a big call. That was the right thing for the first game. Once he starts getting under the hood, once he can work with the players, maybe he can find a way to have Musiala in the lineup with maybe even with Muller. 
Yeah, I think that is that is a fair point. What Thomas Tuchel is doing, he knows the drill. He's been at PSG, he's been in Dortmund, he's been at Chelsea, he's been at the big club. He knows the drill. What he's going to do the first days. First of all, you've got to have a great performance at the press conference, as he did. The two others there was terrible. Salahamidzic and Kandatsby, and then he's doing all the kind of. Uh, uh, speaks in training. You see, have conversation with Leroy Sané. That is not a coincidence. He was the problem kid for them. And Sané is just answering them, being having a, a great game. So he knows the drills. And then you, you go down as a coach, you're doing the right thing. You talk to the right people. Thomas Müller, the experienced player. I remember back in the days, Jörg Berger was my coach at Frankfurt. And he, and he singled out uh, the, the most experienced player. He comes over to talk to them. He even asked me, Jan, who do you think we should play on the right back? And I was thinking, are you asking me? <laughs> he, probably, he, he probably said the same thing to, to five other players, but still he got my loyalty from training number one. They know the drill. They are so experienced. Ariane, right, quickly, we're going to talk about, we're going to go much more in depth in this game on uh, the Gavin Jules podcast. But uh, just for this bit, uh, I need to get your thoughts. You're coming to London. Chelsea Potter's no more. Um, Chelsea Potter. Graham <laughs> Potter's no more. <laughs> um you surprised? No, I, you can't be surprised. The only thing you can be surprised is that how long will it go for these very rich owners being very powerful owners to admit we were wrong? Uh, I, like all, all other footballers, I love the way Graham Potter has built up his career, but our industry or any industry is brutal. You have to win football games and you can't just go on. I mean, maybe the surprise is you can think they could wait till the, till the end of the season, which is a strategic thing uh, they, they, they had to make a decision on. But coaches get fired from the environment uh, and the pressure was too high now for Graham Potter. All right, let's break down the game. And, and I, I want to start, though, with the Dortmund uh, perspective in terms of with all the caveats that we're going to give about how it's really difficult to play when you're 3-0 down inside of 23 minutes and blah, blah, blah. I thought, and, and the fact that maybe the, the whole psychology of it, they lost the last nine times they went there, and it's Dortmund, so you know that the happy times can't last. <laughs> but that said, I, I was a bit surprised. I thought Dortmund came out very aggressively, um, and I thought they pressed as if... And then they, they pressed very high, which... It's fine against most teams, and if it's the way you play, doing it against a Bayern team where you have outstanding passers at the back, uh, or you know, like the Licht and Kimmich, people who can play through the press. You've got individuals who can just take the ball and beat you one on one, like um, like Davies, like uh, like Coman, like like Leroy Sané, obviously. I, I'm just wondering. I know it's a small part of it, but. Mm. Was that the right approach, or am I being unreasonable because hindsight is twenty twenty? I think, for me, I think it's the hindsight twenty twenty, and it's okay. looking back based on the result. Because I would want my team to be more aggressive than conservative overall, especially in a big game, because you could maybe disrupt their patterns of play and stuff. Whereas I think if you take a step back against anyone, especially you know one of the best teams in the world, if they get into their their rhythm, it becomes that little bit more difficult for you. And then as well. Again, with the nature of that game, I thought Dortmund started off well. You know, they, they were pressing high and they started off well. But then it's a, that Upamecano Kobel thing, you know, that's got nothing to do with the pressing. That's like, Upamecano might have been pressed a little bit, and as a consequence, that's what happened. You know, that's the monstrosity of it. And I've got to say as well, I don't know if you saw this, but 
from my notification, it said it was a Kobel own goal. Yeah, that, that was that was a German Bundesliga. It was Germans being party poopers and loving to humiliate people. But how does that and work? They found a picture where he touched the ball, right? Uh, Jan, I mean, you're more German TV guy than I am. That's that's why they counted it as an own goal because he they they, they thought that he touched the ball and deflected the ball into his own net. First of all, I'm a striker. I hate own goals. In my words, there are no own goals. I should have every goal that I more or less have a shot on. But uh, that is a funny thing. That's typical German to find out as an an own goal. But what Ned said is quite interesting. I was thinking of Thomas Hessler, the former German football star, who said once, we came here to play nil-nil and it was okay till they scored. Uh, Because a lot of people, we we say that, that they, they did okay for the first 10 minutes. And I think the plan was, boys that because of this mentality of Dortmund stars, and we are a bit predictable when we say, well, the Royce and the Brandt, when the goings get tough, they do disappear. So I think they came to Munich to not wait. They will want to be aggressive. They want to try to, to get at them. I think that was a plan behind that. And, but I think that goal that came, it was not only that it was a terrible goal, it, it kind of shocked them, didn't it? Didn't it? So the 2-0, 3-0 was just on the bounce of that happening. And I saw some interviews of afterward with Archie. We had, had the boys there. And it was, they said that the, peop- the players were walking around on the pitch and, and shaking their heads. And that's what you do. You can't believe it in a big game. You know it's going to be tight. And then you do the mistake of the season or maybe the mistake of the century uh, in Munich. Okay, you called it the mistake of the century. Um, I don't want to put you guys in a tough spot, but we did talk off air, Jan. Uh, I don't know if you've ever cobbled the way he did on Saturday, but I think I'm interested in when you had an absolutely shocking day um, and it's your mistakes that, 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 that eventually, you know, helped let the team down. Can you talk about maybe an experience you had like that and, and how you bounced back from it? Because there's no question, in a rational world, Terzic should tell Koble, or Koble should look in the mirror and say, I am the best keeper in the Bundesliga, or one of the top two or three, and I'm not the Leipzig goalkeeper, and I had a terrible day, and this happens, and I'm going to bounce back and lead us to the title, right? That's what should happen. What, what is the thought process after you have a stinker like that? Well, well I, I think that's... Uh, Terzic started well straight after the game because he said straight away we wouldn't have been in this position without Kobel and all those kind of things. I think I think that is the first process to it that the coaches will keep calm and they will probably go into even to halftime and and kind of um, comfort him at half. But you can't comfort them too much either because it is a big mistake. And as I'm speaking, oh boys, I'm sitting in Newcastle on my way to London, and I was I was at St James's yesterday uh, doing Newcastle United against Manchester United, and I did remember myself that I was with Swindon here. We lost 7-1. And I remember on the bus at home, our captain, Sean Taylor, uh, uh, Sean Taylor told me, well, Andy Cole didn't score. And I, and I, I turned to him, I said, well, effing every other player scored uh, by Newcastle. <laughs> so so, so it's, it's, it's a thing that you have to be very honest to yourself as well. But for my and that will be different. I think it will, will, will be the same. I, I think that you want to play a football game the next day. You just want to make it good again straight away because yes it's bad for your reputation and he will always be remembered for that goal in kind of when tv and media will do the kind of uh big shows but Koble is a, a fantastic good uh goalkeeper and i'm 100 percent that he will show bounce back and i think the dortmund fans 
being the first home game, they will give him an extra applaud when he enters the, the pitch. Mm. Now, I noticed, Nathan, that when I solicited mistakes and the process of bouncing back, you didn't volunteer any mistakes yeah, I was, you made. I was, I was, I obviously, I didn't make a mistake across 16 <laughs> years, obviously. But no, I was letting Jan get his point across. And it's, football is like that. You do make mistakes. And the way that so football works, the great goals that we see get the same coverage as the great mistakes that we see. So as Jan says, you can't escape it. Everyone remember that moment. And I think it's slightly different from an attacking versus defensive standpoint, especially within the game. Because if I make a mistake early in the game, like Coble did, and you won down, you're relying on other people to try and score so that the mistake doesn't matter as much. Right. Whereas if Jan misses a hat-trick of sitters... He can still get one. He could, right. still, he could still score one <laughs> right. and feel a little bit better about himself. But back there, it's tough. And I think the point you made again at the end about how you just want to play the next game is key. Because you need to clear this from your mind, get some good reps in, be seen to be doing something positive. But again, the whole attacker-defender thing... If I have a good game, nobody cares because it means I'll stop goals being scored in a match. But if right. I make a mistake and there's a goal scored, that's the bigger thing. So for him, he's got to go out there. You probably believe in himself, but if there's any level of self-doubt at all, those balls coming back towards him, when you hear 60,000, 70,000 people going, ooh... Listen, you always hear it. You always hear it, trust me. Yeah, that's a great point, i got to say. I, I hadn't thought of that. But, yeah, as, as a defender, even if he'd made... You know, three unbelievable saves the rest of the day would have been like, okay, fine. So we didn't lose 7 2. You know <laughs> exactly, I mean? exactly. Um, talking about Bayern, all right, I, I, I like to look at these things from, and maybe Anna give clubs too much credit, but I always imagine that clubs think about the present, but also at least about the medium term future. You have a situation at Bayern where you've got two veterans on big, big contracts who. You know, in Manuel Neuer and, um, and and Thomas Muller. In Neuer's case, he gets injured skiing. They fire his friend, the the, the goalkeeping coach, uh, Tapalovic. Uh, they bring in another veteran goalkeeper to replace him just while he's out. But, you know, Sommer has a, a contract as well. And um, in Muller's case, also, the clock is ticking. I don't know at some point, but he's not going to get any younger. With Muller in particular, he played his formation. There's no room for Jamal Musiala. I would have thought, going forward, you build your team, you start thinking about the future, and you think, okay, who's there? Who are my guys? <clears throat> and I would think it would obviously be, be, be Kimmich, it would be Delict, it would be Musiala. Musiala is not in the starting lineup for a pivotal, a pivotal game here. Um this is something that we, we believe Tuchel, Tommy Tuchel's going to work on this. Is Tuchel going to find a way to get them both, both Muller and Musiala, to, to play together? And, and how do you do that? How do you see this going? Well, it's a very good question, an interesting question, because I think if the generation of Bayern, you had uh, Schweinsteiger, Lahm, Neuer and Müller. Schweinsteiger kind of got his golden reward going to Manchester United, which was good for him. It was a new experience for him. Lahm just retired. That was easy for them. He retired maybe one or two years too early. Manuel Neuer, his typical goalkeeper, he will play until someone says to him, you have to walk out or get out a wheelchair to get out because a goalkeeper can play on forever, they've always feel. Thomas Miller is the same. So to kill your darlings, that is quite tough. And I, we're talking about Sir Alex. He, he was the best in doing that. He was always finding the right... He would probably do mistakes as well, but as we, we, we kind of praise his legacy. We always remember the good thing with Roy Keane or Yapstan or Van Nistelrooy. 
although they were not the oldest, but still they found the right time to take them out. This is difficult. And, and, and I, I was mentioning with this ironic that Julian Nagelsmann maybe failed when he, when he start taking on Manuel Neuer. When he was out, he was, don't ever go skiing in Munich. That Julian Nagelsmann I know you will, will show, show you that. But it's a tough one. But, but I do, I think there is a process. They somewhat have to find it. And you can, there is a way out for them. I think you can understand or think that uh, Thomas Müller will keep on working at the club. Manuel Neuer can keep on working at the club. So they will find a way because especially Thomas Müller, he is the face of Bayern Munich. And you, and you think that they want to keep having them there. Salahamidzic, Oliver Kahn, both for, uh, former footballers, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, Uli Hoeneß, the same. So that is the way of Bayern Munich. So maybe, but Musiala out, Gab, I'm with you. Musiala, Wirtz, Bellingham, I mean, you can't have them on the bench. These are the future of German football. This is the future of Bayern Munich. Musiala got to be in there. But, uh, sorry to repeat myself, Otto Rehagel, you have to plan long-term, but you have to win short-term. And Thomas Zuckel knows about that as well. Okay, well, with that in mind, so Muller, I, I thought, played really well. Um, very natural. You know, it looked like really he turned back the clock. Not that he's been poor otherwise. We've seen in the past... They've tried shoehorning him in on the wing. They've tried. They've tried him at center forward, uh, in the, and which obviously is the position he played earlier in his career. I mean, until they get another striker, with all my love for for Eric Maxime Choupo-Moting, could that be an answer? I, can you explain as, as a striker, Jan? Can Thomas Muller be Bayern center forward, allowing Musiala to play behind him at this stage of the career, or? Does it change too many things? Yeah, yeah, again, a good observation. First of all, Chopin Muting, Thomas Tuchel loves him. He had, had it in mind. He even took him to PSG. That was also Thomas Tuchel did that. But I think that we shouldn't read too much into the first game because although he is a strong leader, Thomas Tuchel, he went safe the first game. Who was yeah. the easiest to take out of the team? That was a young lad. Uh, Goretzka... Uh, Kimmich, he went safe. Leroy Sané, he wanted to build him up. So I think that we will see different versions of Bayern. Uh, there are, will be players injured. Yes, he can use Thomas Müller in that position uh, in front of the goal. Schopenhauer won't get uh, uh, all games, that for sure. So, so I think they will try to find a mixture now. But, but this is with the big clubs now. The April and May, they are the major months. And of course, Muziala thinks that, well, I was good enough to play in November. I was in January and February. When, when the goals get tough, I was out of there. So, but I don't think that Muziala have the lobby, have the credit at the moment. So I think that Julian Agusman tried to do that. He had a good preseason, Muziala, before the season, looking stronger. So Thomas Zucker will find a way because he... So, because Musiala is the future with Davis, uh, with Kimmich. They're, well, we forgot that Kimmich is older than we think, but these, these are the future of, of Bayern Munich. Uh, I'm not going gonna to reveal something about you, that you're a City fan, uh, which I don't think anybody <laughs> knows. <laughs> when they line up, Tuchel against Pep. Yeah, I don't like it, firstly. From, no, no, but, but, but from a City standpoint, yeah. would you rather see Muller in the lineup or would you rather see Musiala? I think this is this is part of the problem. The fact that you know Musiala's got all the potential in the world to be one of the greats, but you also know Thomas Muller feels inevitable. 
So I don't like the fact they've got both. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So one might come off for the other and vice versa. But I think um, for the way that City's midfield is at the moment, I think I would rather see Thomas Muller, not because he's a bad player, but just because Musiala, from a one-on-one standpoint, centrally, I don't think there are many people in world football that stop him. And I think if he can be dynamic and sort of be progressing through that midfield, I think that causes huge problems. Whereas for Muller, perhaps there could be a game where you kind of take him more out of the game than he'd like. But yeah. I'd say Musiala is the one for me. I, I would tend to agree. I think Rodri and Stones would, would rather face Muller than, uh, 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 than Musiala. Um, all right, let's talk what happens now because the gap is back up to two points and I feel that in the eyes of many who maybe don't follow the Bundesliga that closely, they say, ha-ha, momentum shift, oh, look, you know, business is usual. They've won 10 in a row. Now they're ahead. They're not going to stumble again and, and, and catch them up. And I have to say, I disagree because... Dortmund went on this incredible run. They won what, a million points in a row. They made up 10 points on Bayern. If Terzic is smart, there's no reason why we can't have a legit title race. Mm-hmm. They have to go and play Christian Strike next, right? Um, <clears throat> and, and Freiburg, uh, both in the cup and in the league. I mean, there are pitfalls. This is far from over. Am I right, Jan, or am I just trying to drum up excitement for the Bundesliga on ESPN+. Plus? <laughs> First of all, if you and me drum up the enthusiasm, that is not the first time, and I'm, I'm afraid it won't be the last time, Gab. But, but, but I think that there are two things. First of all, I think that it's only two points, but mentally that, that game could hurt them a bit because if you, if you get like taken off as they were at the 4-0 and then it came 4-1, 4-2, maybe that will help a bit. But as you are saying, that there is... That the Thomas Tuchel wins his first game when, when there win an earthquake in the week before, that is very, very typical Bayern. But as you were saying, the habit of winning games has been very good at Dortmund. I can see no reason why they won't do that. You can also f- see the other way, that they can kind of find themselves even more now. Now, erst recht. No, 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 we start, you know. Uh, and, right. and, they, and, and the Freiburg game will be a tricky game. Uh, and, but we, you just feel that Thomas Tuchel... One, you, you will have a more consistency in the play. I mean, that, that was the big criticism of, of Julian Nagelsmann going from PSG, then having a bad game against Leverkusen. So the consistency w- was a bit like that. But, it, but it's not over at all. I think that the, this, this thing would also, with the, with the City games coming up, that could be an advantage for Dortmund. I'm not sure if we are only looking for chances here to have <laughs> this great excitement at the end of the season. But it's far from over. This was not a final. There are two points. Two points. It's not a, nothing at all. And in the last 10 years, you will have the stats maybe, but it's not often that it's so few games left and Dortmund so close. So then it's only one kind of bomb, if it's a bomb losing in Freiburg, which is not. So, um, so Dortmund could be back top next weekend. That is a good story. That is a good news, Gab and that. All right, let's all put ourselves on the spot so people can laugh at us. Percentage chance Bayern win uh, the Bundesliga. Jan? Uh, 65-35. That's exactly what I was going to say. I promise you. No. That's exactly what I was going to say. You've thrown me off, so I'll go... I'll go 60-40 by then. Wow, and I'm going to go 70-30. I, I would have thought I would have been you know, the most cheery about Dorman's prospects. Gentlemen, we do have a title race on our, on our hands, and uh, I, for one, am excited.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million dollar stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gabjewels, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash g-a-b-j-u-l-s now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash gabjewels. Nadim, I was going to talk about... um, United and Liver and uh, Newcastle mm-hmm. in the second segment, but then at eight oh two, my phone pings a notification from Chelsea. He's gone. Graham Potter is gone now. Obviously, they lost to Aston Villa at home two 0 booed off the pitch. Uh, not the first time this season they've been booed off the pitch. <laughs> to me, my first reaction is he's got an issue. Chelsea have an issue with their timing for when they sack managers, right? Because they give Tuchel all this money to spend in the summer, right? Yeah. When it's just Boldy and Tuchel, they don't really know what's going on, and Aubameyang, whatever. And then as soon as the window closes, a week after that, they sack him. And now here, look, if you thought Potter needed to be replaced, or that Potter shouldn't be your manager next season, which I think was the most reasonable um, decision, Presumably, you didn't form that opinion based on 90 bad minutes against Aston Villa, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so why not sack him at the start of the of the international break before this? Or, I think they probably should have done, keep him until the end of the season. Things aren't going to get any worse. And take that time to have a real manager search. Do you think they, the ownership care about fans' feedback? Do you think that matters? So when I say feedback, I mean... The aggressive nature in the booze as the players walk off the field. Do you think that matters or not? So, this is where it gets interesting, and I think this is pretty peculiar to, to Chelsea, right? Because we always talk bully this, bully that, right? Mm. Bully does not own this club outright. He is one of a number of people, of a number of, of rich people or people representing big funds who have a stake in this club. And he's the one who's most involved day to day, him and, and, and Iqbali. Uh, so he's the most visible. But Bowley doesn't make this decision on his own. Is it possible that some of the other guys maybe didn't quite realize how bad the fan reaction was? Is it possible they said, uh, you know, and this is a very American perspective, we got to worry about ticket sales, perception, blah, 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 keep your customers happy. They obviously don't want this guy. Why not, if we're going to sack him in the summer, why not just get rid of him now? Um, so at least give the fans some hope. Yeah. We can change the narrative for over the next 10 games. It becomes who are we going to hire. Uh, maybe they look in Champions League as well. Do we have a prayer with Potter against Real Madrid? Maybe some other guy comes in, beats his chest, and we pull it off. I, I'm, I'm trying to give them an out to try to understand why sack him now. Yeah. It, 
I don't, I, I don't understand it either, to be honest. I think the, the team has been in this position for what feels like forever, where they've just been just about staying afloat in the Premier League, but then they still exist in the Champions League. And, you know, 90% of people have written them off against Real. But it's football, you never know. I suppose in the grand scheme of things, you never know. And I say, I was asking about the feedback from the fans, because, as you said, it's that American perspective, potentially, about the crowd not being happy, people not turning up to games and the like. And if that starts to happen, that, that's a, that draws a big reaction. But then also, in terms of the decision, is it really football people that are making the decision? Do they understand the significance of, of sacking somebody at the start of the international break versus now? The significance of maybe giving them till the end of the season, the significance of destabilising a team before a Champions League run? You know, I'm, I'm not sure. That's an interesting one. And again, if you wanted to be cynical about this, they're, as we know, Chelsea, like every other club, they like to do these briefings where, like... Uh, City are actually the worst at this. Sorry, no disrespect. No, but they go out and they have a couple people and they say, hey, this is what's really happening. And then they tweet it or report it as fact, right? But it's really the club's version of events. And okay. generally, you know, they don't lie about it. But immediately you had, oh, this decision was made by Chelsea's co-sporting directors, um, Lauren Stewart and uh, Wynn Stanley, right? Which is fine. It's, they, they're in charge. They should be making the football decision. But it, the speed at which everybody was briefed that these were the guys making the decision made me think that they are football people. Mm. Surely they would have seen the benefit of... Surely they didn't change their mind about Potter based on those 90 minutes. Surely the football people would have seen this. Is it one of those, you know, lady protests too much situations and actually it wasn't them? I guess it's a PR move then to show that the board do care about the plight of the football club. And the one result itself isn't necessarily the sole reason, but maybe it's the straw that broke the camel's back. And to lose at home again, to have not scored again, there's a real bad sort of feeling that exists there. And I think, speaking for some of the Chelsea fans that I know, they're at the point where they're almost expecting the worst. They're still going because there's that little bit of hope, but they're expecting the worst and... Losing to Aston Villa and seeing them rise above you. Aston Villa were in the bottom three, I think, two, three months ago. So it's a, it's a big call. Maybe they've seen certain managers that are available somewhere in and around uh, Europe, potentially. You're talking about Julian Nagelsmann there, the obvious one, and that's what people are talking about. He's apparently he's a favourite. We, we talked endlessly about the Nagelsmann um, sacking with Jules. Now we're in the situation where... And we asked with Nagelsmann, like, why now, right? If he's the wrong guy, and you realize from Bayern's perspective after 20 months that he's the wrong guy, even though you're still in the running for the trouble. And one of the reasons that people kept saying, oh, but Thomas Tuchel was available. Thomas Tuchel was available. You know, as if we're talking, Sir Alex Ferguson's available, but we've got to act <laughs> now, you know. Um, and now I wonder if it's history repeating itself, right? Because now, like, oh, Julian Nagelsmann's available, right? Because he's literally just been sacked. Uh, but we have to act now. And strengthening, as we mentioned earlier, that the Nagelsmann link is the fact that the model that they've adopted is very much in line with the Red Bull organization, where he's worked before in terms of acquiring all these young players and trying to develop them and whatever. And obviously, the fact that in the, the technical director and the um, Vivelle and uh, the co-sporting director, or one of the two co-sporting directors, uh, Lawrence Stewart, have worked... Um, in the rebel organization before. Now, my sense here is I'm wondering if we're kind of immediately jumping in and making it two plus two equals five. Because in Tuchel's case, I said, 
Like, if Tuchel made you believe that you need to sign him now, otherwise he's going to sign for freaking Spurs, because he said, oh, he could sign for Spurs or Real Madrid. Man, like, if, he had, if, he, if, I, if Tuchel believed he had a legitimate shot at Real Madrid, he would be waiting for Real Madrid. Yeah. And as far as Spurs, if he's got a shot at going at Bayern, he's going to take Bayern, right, over Spurs. So, like, you know, it, it seems silly to me. With Nagelsmann, I think, is a different dynamic, though, because he's a much... He's a younger manager. He's got many years of his career ahead of him. And I think the sacking has been pretty traumatic for him. So I, I don't believe, and I stand to be corrected, I don't believe that, you know, 10 days after getting sacked, he's going to walk into the Chelsea job between now and the end of the season. <clears throat> Do you? Between now and the end of the season, possibly, imminently, no. But I think you've made some very good points there especially for such a young manager, for him to be pushed out the way that he was. And as is the case with most managers, he probably feels he didn't deserve to lose his job. <clears throat> and then seeing the way that Chelsea's been for the last year or so, the project that Chelsea have, yes, they do have some similarities to RB, but they've also got about 30 first-team players to try and deal with. And I don't know, do you want to be a manager that comes to a club and you've got to be involved in the clear-out? That seems quite stressful. Chelsea, for me, are a team whereby they want to build for the future, but they also require success today. That's, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. But it seems very, very tough. And a manager will obviously believe in himself, but does he genuinely think that this is the right spot for him, given what's just happened to him at Bayern Munich? I'm not, I'm not sure. What do you think? I think a lot would depend on how much trust he puts on the guys he already knows at Chelsea. And how, in his assessment of how empowered they're going to be to be able to... Do you think they are empowered? I mean, look, I'm assuming they've been brought in for a reason, right? I'm assuming we're not going to have the repeat of last summer where, you know, Chelsea's transfer dealings were handled by Todd Bowley fresh off the boat and a stressed-out Thomas Tuchel not sleeping at night because he's up at all hours watching White Scout and giving opinions on players he doesn't know, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and a couple of agents. I mean, that that's... Why, why would that change, though? That was Chelsea's... Well, because we saw in January, all these guys, David Datro, Fofana, Malagusto, Badiashil, um, these guys have Stewart and Vivelle fingerprints all over them, right? That, that is the profile of player, right? Young guy, upside. Enzo a bit less so because he's so expensive. I don't quite know what's going to happen with that one. Um, so, Nagelsmann says... You guys, I trust you. I've worked with you before. Um, I think you guys have the power. I don't think Nagelsmann will also be interested in, in the dynamic of, of the ownership dynamic at Chelsea, right? We said there's six or seven different people in there. It's not entirely Bowley's club. Bowley said, okay, I'll take the lead in being more involved day-to-day this year. But I'm going to assume that Bowley also loves the LA Dodgers. Bowley loves his day job, too. I don't think he's committed to living in London for as long as it takes to turn Chelsea around, right? Mm-hmm. So I think at some point he's going to want to hand it over to people. And that could mean either another one of the, the big shareholders gets involved or maybe they hire a different CEO who's more operational than the guy they have now, Tom Glick, very highly respected. But I think he'd be the first to tell you he's more of a, previously at City, he's more of a commercial guy. Um, and obviously that's very important and deal with that in the stadium. So I think there's different scenarios there. I think you need to convince Nagelsmann that those guys are going to be in charge, that they've got the backing. And you also need to get a sense of what your latitude is going to be on the market. Because 
most people would say that they need a defensive midfielder come what may. I know Conte's back in training and stuff. He may get another year, but he's not getting any younger either. And you think he's played two games a season. You need somebody else there, right, in, 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 in central midfield. Yeah. The center forward thing, a lot of people think they do. The fact that they signed Christopher Nkunku suggests to me that maybe they don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe Vivelle and um, what's-his-name doesn't feel that way. I mean, it's just like, all right, we got Nkunku, Havertz, false nine, move around, blah, blah, blah. Broja will be fit next season, whatever, you know. So, but you have to, you, you have to make those decisions. And as I see it, and this is, I think, one of the interesting dynamics that they're going to have to hit is a conventional wisdom. One of the explanations for why Potter failed that a lot of fans believe and a lot of people in the media believe is the job was too big for him, right? He didn't have the experience of working at a big club. He didn't have the experience of having to play midweek football all the time. He didn't have the experience of not having a preseason. He didn't have all this stuff, right? Which, because he didn't have that at Brighton. So that would suggest, okay, this time around, you need to bring somebody who's more accustomed to working in those conditions. That means a big-name manager. That means a Nagelsmann, a Pochettino, um, somebody like that, right? A Luis Enrique, or I don't think it's going to be him. The problem is, if you bring in a big-name manager of that ilk, they're going to say, well, hang on a minute. As you mentioned, those 50 guys I need to move out in place... Can you do that for me? So then I got some money left over because I don't like this player. I like this player. I feel like I need this kind, this guy. You know, there's a lot of decisions to be made. And if you're a big manager, I mean, you don't have to be. You can be Antonio Conte kicking and screaming, or Jose Mourinho, or other people do it more subtly. But you're going to want to put your stamp on the team and your dialogue. Can they afford that? And certainly, they said we spent all our money now. Don't expect us to spend another half a billion next summer. Yeah, I think that's why it's the sort of nuance of this situation. Um, because it's, you say you go, for, you, in theory, you could go for a big name manager. You could do that. But most of those big name managers made their name at clubs which had relative stability and you added one or two pieces to it. Whereas this is a time now where a club is essentially in transition, where, you know, what's the core actually going to be? How many players do you need to move on? And it's not just, say, youngsters or people who are on the periphery. Like, there's, there's certain plate people who are established first-teamers who might not be part of the long-term vision. You look and at Mason Mount's contract situation. So much, so much stuff like that. And I think if I was in that camp, I'd like something more stable. Because if you then try and bring me in, well, what do you want me to do? Like, every... My dad always makes this point. There's some great managers and stuff, but they also do better because they're at the very top with the best players. But then I know lots of managers who couldn't be at the top with the best players and manage those situations. It feels like they're in transition at this moment. It's maybe not the right time for one of those big, big managers. But then maybe if they can do the business properly in the summer in terms of knowing who's going to be out, who's going to be in, what the future looks like, then maybe that's when it's more exciting for somebody to come in. So I, I wouldn't necessarily think that them bringing in someone now is the best thing for that manager to do well. Because I, I don't know what it would look like come the end of the season. I mean, there's, they're going to have a major FFP issue in the summer as well. Um, I know it's West London, but there's, there are quite a few problems here. Yeah, they're, 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 there's a lot of things going on. So I think the rational choice, either you believe Nagelsmann, either Nagelsmann says, yeah, I want to come here, I want to bounce back, I'm fully committed, I trust these guys, and so on. And I'm going to put my rep on the line again, right? 
by, by moving in these situations, which is going to be a, a tougher situation than what he had in, in Munich, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think you look for an up-and-comer. You actually look for a Potter type. Obviously not Potter. <laughs> yeah, but, Potter 2.0. But, but somebody who says, you know what? I'm just going to coach. And I'll work with what you have. And I'll work with the general guidelines that are set down by Stuart and Vivelle, by, 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 by the club's longer-term plan. And I'm going to try to make it work. And I'm going to do the that? best I can. Who is that? Well, you talk about all those managers who never had the great players. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you were to go tomorrow, and I'm not saying you should get him, but like any kind of mid-table company man guy, it's not going to be Carlo Ancelotti, right? Because mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. But he was always the company man who never complained about the players this club got him. Now, obviously, when you manage Real Madrid and yeah, you, know, and you usually, tend to have players good players in okay, Chelsea yeah. and PSG. Yeah, but yeah, for sure. Somebody like that, but younger, who also plays a style of football that Chelsea want to play because there's very much an, an RB Brighton mm. you know, ethos to this. And maybe he's not a big name. Maybe that, to me, that would be the rational thing. But then if you get that wrong, there's going to be the backlash. Haven't you learned your lesson? We yeah. need the big charismatic guy. We need the, 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 the pod type. I think Nagelsmann in some ways is a synthesis of those two things, and that's why he's being so strongly linked. But whether Nagelsmann wants to come straight back again, you know, even just straight back this summer, I don't know. So football is such an amazing sport. Like, as a manager, you can be sacked and you are jobless, but you're the most enticing thing in all of Europe now because you don't, you're out well, of work. That's the beauty of it, right? It's also the whole sliding doors aspect to it, right? If they don't sack Tuchel in September, at a minimum, they're like 25 to 30 million richer, just simply with a compensation to, to Brighton yeah. for Potter. And you're probably no worse off on the table. And Nagelsmann's still in a job at Bayern. Brendan Rodgers. Stop it with a Brendan Rodgers. We'll be getting to Brendan <laughs> Rodgers later. But, but it's interesting because even with Brendan, right, you have the same issue, right? It's perception that he failed miserably at Liverpool yeah. and then nobody likes him. Yeah. Um, even though he, I think he tries to be, he's been more humble since, yes, right, at Leicester. Yeah, but uh, that perception, oh, you couldn't handle it in a big stage at Liverpool. And then he comes to Chelsea, a couple of bad results. Oh, he can't handle it. On a big stage. So it's your fault. So you work so, in the media, it's your fault. Exactly. It's, it's all down to the media. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Gab. Just go to Indeed.com slash Gab right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Gab. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, enough Chelsea. How about some quick hits instead? Let's go, let's go. Newcastle beat Manchester United 2-0, but Nadem, in terms of performance, 
this gap between these two teams felt even bigger than that. Yeah, it certainly did. And in my mind, I thought United or Manchester United, Manchester United, because okay. there were two United here, had been doing particularly well. They'd been finding ways to win matches, but then in this game away at Newcastle, I think the players and the manager were talking about how there was no fight, there was no desire, and that is a huge red flag because you can have the talent, but if you don't have that other stuff, what chance have you really got? And now, Newcastle United are above Man United on the table, even though apparently they were the team that were falling off. Yeah, uh, and that's a big credit to Eddie Howe as well because you know they they. The result, I think they'd won two and seven prior to this, so there was a sense. But no, I think this gives them a huge, huge lift. Yeah, Milan travelled to Napoli and destroyed them 4-0. And as Brahim Diaz and Rafael Leal steal the show, and Alexis Salamakas scores a goal worthy of Maradona in Maradona Stadium. Gab, is this going to impact the Champions League meeting? Uh... That's the big question. I, I think for Milan, yes, and you want it to impact. They said, like, hey, we can't be afraid of these guys. Now, obviously, there was no Victor or Seaman. Um, from Napoli, you got to tell yourself, hey, this was due to happen. We're going to have a bad day at the office. That's a bad, that's a bad, bad day, though. But were you expecting Milan, I mean, Milan switched to a back four and everything? Were you, did you expect them to be, to be this good? I uh, expected them to play well because, to be honest, the last Napoli game I saw was when they played Lazio at home. And they lost to Lazio as You're well. just Napoli's bad luck charm, aren't you? I'm going to try to tune out as much as possible <laughs> if they want to do well, yeah. Manchester City go a goal down and then storm back to beat Liverpool 4-1. Nadim, I'm not a Grealish guy, but if he keeps playing like this, I might change my mind. Yeah, so you said you might change your mind. I'm pretty sure you won't change your mind because lots of other people like that. There's something about his style of play and maybe his persona some people don't like. But I'm a Foden guy. Exactly, and that's fine. It's to have both on your team is fine. So I get it. it this he, he could be a ten out of ten, and for some people, it means that they just don't say anything for a week. If you don't like him, you don't like him. But lots of people do. He's having a big impact for City, and he's actually someone who's at the moment possibly a guaranteed starter. You wouldn't have thought that, would you? No, not at all. In Liverpool, I that's, shambles. Is that right, word? Did yeah. they fall apart like that, or is yeah. it just the City being City being good? I think City with no Holland, by the way. Yeah, I think City were very good, but I think the timing of the two goals just at the start of the second half, and then for Liverpool, they finished that second half with twenty-seven percent possession and one shot, not on target. That's if ever there were stats that sort of tell a give paint wow. a picture. I think that, unfortunately, was it for them. Um, Karim Benzema gets a hat-trick and Real Madrid destroy, destroy Valladolid 6-0. Gabby's hitting form at the right time. Oh, if as long as they keep playing Valladolid, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but look, I, I think this, this obviously gives you, gives you a list. This is his first hat-trick in a very, very long time. Look, Champions League around the corner. Uh, by Copa, magic, yeah. Copa del Rey semi-final. You know, he's coming alive at the right time. Look, he's a Ballon d'Or. He deserved the Ballon d'Or. He's not had a Ballon d'Or type season. And this is a huge boost for them. They're not going to win the league, but, you know, they can win something important. Arsenal stay top in the Premier League with a 4-1 uh, victory over Leeds United as Gabriel Jesus scores twice on his return to the starting lineup. And this is a sitter. Nadim, your thoughts? What do you want to focus on? That's the Gabriel Jesus experience, speaking from a City perspective. He's so <laughs> capable, but then we'll sometimes do things and you're like, ah, come on. If only you didn't do that, then maybe you'd be seen as a great. But for him, being back, it's great because I think he's been injured three or four months now. And for Arsenal to have him back, because there was a lot of energy around his signing at the start of the season. And to think that he can still win when Saka, who's, been, who's just been player of the month, can be on the bench... This is uh, this is standard procedure for Arsenal. They are doing particularly well. Was that a brain fart from Ailing on the penalty? <sighs> okay, well, I'm not going to ask. It's a defender. It was a gust of wind. Something went wrong. Yeah, something okay. went wrong. Yeah. yeah. It's, who said Ligon was done and dusted? Paris Saint Germain lose at home again. This time against Lyon, and the lead is down to six points with nine games to go. 
Gab, they were booed off the pitch, and the gap would be just four points if Marseille hadn't been held at home by Montpellier on Friday. Yeah, and this is why I actually think that they'll probably win the league again, because Marseille keeps self-destructing. Uh, like, nobody else has been has been good or, or had any kind of form. But this, this was really bad. I think this evidently they're turning, not just on Galtier. Messi getting booed. He had a nice assist early on to Mbappe. They had the chances early, but, you know... Uh, Barcola getting the winner for, for Leon. They could have had more. Um, uh, the, the, the Lacazette penalty as well. Donnarumma not covering himself in glory there. He's just not good. You, just, you feel like these guys just want the season to end now mm. and, and and move on and get ready for, for next year. But um, this is bad. This is bad. Jules chose the right Time day. to be away. Yeah, yeah to be away. <laughs> Barcelona destroy Elche 4-0 in the top V bottom clash as Ansu Fati scores a great goal. Ferran Torres does the business. And... Another former City guy, Eric Garcia, puts in a big performance in midfield. Nathan, I like nothing about Garcia as a defender because I think he's slow and I don't think he reads the game well and I think he's small. But in midfield, the guy can pass. Listen, tell me and how he you puts feel. In a tackle. Don't, tell me how you feel. Don't hold anything back. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm just not an Eric Garcia guy. I know, I know. Okay, I, but midfield, Eric Garcia, the midfielder, why not? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think from the Garcia factor as a defender, I think he's only liked in Catalonia. I think he might just run the places. They don't really like him. But I think Eric Garcia, obviously, he played well. And he did well in this game and potentially other games. But if you So he's not the heir apparent to Sergio Busquets, is what you're saying? It, it would appear not. A Moise Kian goal gives Juventus a 1-0 win over Verona. Gab, even with 15-point penalty, they're closing in on that top four. Uh, yeah, which is pretty remarkable um, in that game. Um, it's pretty remarkable, the transformation. I, what are you going to argue with Allegri? He keeps getting the points. I don't think they've developed. The one good thing in terms of development is he's thrown the kids in there. They've done the job. Miretti coming on, setting it up, uh, uh, s- setting up most can. But the development's not there. But you, you can't argue with the results. They, 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 they could still do, a, do the treble with Europa League, but still. It's pretty, not, not, sorry, not the treble. They could still They're not going to win the league, obviously. Correct myself. But... It's harder for, for them to move on from Allegri now, and look, he's earned it. Yeah. Sticking with Juve, Alex Del Piero was in the stands and got a standing ovation from supporters. Nadim, it's no secret they want him to be the next club president. How do you feel about ex-players in that role? Are you ready to take over from Caljun <laughs> when he decides to move on as chairman of City? Um, I hope that Caljun stays there forever so that I don't have to try and apply for that job. He's done, <laughs> done such a good job. But, but you will apply should he move on, won't you? Yeah, yeah, my application will go in. I just don't know if they'll see it, though. I just don't know if they'll see it. But anyway, a big, big win for Atletico Madrid against Betis as Angel Correa scores late. Gab, they're all but short up for finish now. They are. This is big. And by the way, you should go and check out the goal. It's not that was people said it was a street goal. Angel Correa is the street fighter, the super sub. He comes on. He just wants to win the ball. He gets a couple lucky rebounds. Great finish after that. Uh, big boost. Another big performance from Antoine Griezmann. Now people are wondering, is Cholo really going to move on? Because this is a strong finish to the season, and they're not just getting results, they're playing well too. Leicester City lose 2-1 to Crystal Palace, and Brendan Rodgers is sacked. Nadem, one point from his last seven, second bottom in the league. This was inevitable, right? <sighs> Unfortunately, you'd have to say so. I think if you, didn't, if you took out the name of Brendan Rodgers, but then you saw that sort of run in the Premier League and where they're at, you'd think the manager would have to lose his job. Again, timing though. This is a, such a big big run for them. Do they have someone lined up? I'm not sure. But they need that bounce, and maybe the new manager will give that to them. Because that's, it's still weird seeing them and seeing West Ham down there. It doesn't quite feel It'd right. would be a bit cynical and say that maybe once the owner has kind of said, all right, let's not start spending money anymore and, and 
between that and yeah, injuries and they he kind of got stuck money. in yeah they stopped spending money and they didn't bring in the sort of talented players that maybe they would have wanted to but that doesn't mean that Leicester become the second worst team in the Premier League does it no but Brendan might want to quote Big Sam Allardyce who says if you want to be a good manager get good players if you want to be a great manager get great players and if you want to be in the bottom two, have your players <laughs> underperform. But and have them be injured. Yeah, yeah. this is true. Uh, it's now three defeats in a row for Inter, and they're after their home loss to Fiorentina. Gab, they slipped to fifth place. Romelu Lukaku misses a hat-trick of sitters, and Simone Inzaghi's job is hanging by a thread. Okay, remember the one he missed in the World Cup? Like, the worst of the three is... I'm surprised. Why do you remember the ones from the World Cup? What? Just remember, forget that. Forget the World Cup. No, no, but like the, the worst of the three is like that. He's literally on the goal line. I think the XG for is like 0. 0.98. And yeah. then somehow... Um, look, I, I worry when teams and strikers don't get on the end of chances, right? Because if he hadn't missed any chances because he was never shooting on goal, like where we say, oh, look, Lukaku's building up his... He's on his way back. So there's part of that, but equally you got to bury those. You got you got to put those away. Inter look chaotic and disjoint. I don't think Fiorentina played that well at all. Um, this this is bad because this Inter are not in a good place financially. If they don't qualify for the top four, and by the way, uh, if Juve gets a point back, they're in sixth place. Uh, so they. They so got to turn around quickly. Win the Champions League and then you back in, yeah. Win the, yeah, easy peasy, yeah, easy peasy. Starting with Benfica, <laughs> Roma beat Sampdoria three 0 and are back into fourth place. Nadim Gini Vinaldum opened the scoring and looked great. He's endured a nightmare with injuries. Um, had a tough time after leaving Liverpool at Paris Saint Germain as well. How important is he for Mourinho down the stretch? And what's the? I mean, basically, you do nothing for eighteen months. And it was an injury thing. He just didn't play well for 18 months. Mm. He's 32 years old. Is, is there? Can you regain some of it? Yeah, I think you can. I think as you look at sort of today's football as well, some of those players who are quote-unquote older, they have big impacts within their side. Just look at the voting for the Ballon d'Or last year, for example. The vast majority of the players are over the age of 30, so they know how to play the game. I think for Wijnaldum, if he's not played well or been injured through that stretch, he's desperate to get back to the top. Maybe his top might not be where it was. Maybe. But if it's anywhere near it, then what, what a player to have for Mourinho who would want to rely on his trusted players to get them through this tough stretch of the season. So I'm happy he's back. Hopefully he can stay fit and you know, Rome can see the best of him because I think he's a really good player. And maybe he'll win the Europa League. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. It's another stinker for Leipzig as they're beaten 3-0 by Mainz. God, the wheels are really coming off, aren't they? Yeah, this was a really poor performance. And I don't want to overstate the importance of a goalkeeper, but the guy... The guy who's replacing Peter Golashi is not good. Okay. Not good against City. Yeah. Not good in this game. Just not good. And it sets you in like a negative spiral. And then the, the rest of the team try to do too much. I don't know that the manager is necessarily helping things in this situation. Mine's on a very good run um, as well. And uh, by the way, uh, you saw the, the third goal by the mind striker. who's about yeah. eight feet tall. Yeah. Bit special, no? Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, good feet for a big man. Was good feet for a big good man. There you go. Man. There you go. Today, then, we can't have a Gab and George show without talking about Carlo Ancelotti's future and the Brazil job. He gave us his view after the game, reminding people that he had a contract of 2024, and if Real Madrid want to stay him, heck, I'll stay another 10 years. I'll stay until 2034. Yeah, it's a great. What's answer. your view? It's a great answer that proves nothing. Yeah, it's a fantastic <laughs> word from Carlo yet again. Um, I need to ask you this question as a football historian. Have Brazil ever had a foreign manager? 
I do not believe they have maybe in the early days when English people were coming off boats and playing locals like 120 years ago. Possibly, I, but I generally don't know. So do you think the Brazilian people want that? Certainly the Brazilian players keep going on about how wonderful he is. The head of the Brazilian FA came out like, every stadium I go to, everybody says, bring us Carlo, bring us Carlo. Um, you know, they, like, I, I think... He's got a lot of qualities like Chichi in the sense that he's a very calming guy and he's definitely a player's coach. Um, maybe if you get a foreigner in some ways, it can be easier if you're a proud fo- footballing nation. I mean, it worked out so great for England. No, I'm just kidding. But, but, <laughs> no, but, but sometimes, sometimes when you have a country, when you're going to try something, you want to try something different, right? Rather than somebody who might experience the pressure of being... Brazil national team coach a little bit different than somebody else. I, I, maybe that goes into it. it. It certainly is. I think it's, even though he's got the best players, it's probably the toughest national team coach in the world mm. just simply because of the size of the country, the passion of the people, and the pressure of the media. And I think that's certainly something he can handle. Yeah, I think, I, think he could, I think he could do a good job there. But then I also think because he'll be a foreign manager, if it's not going well, I think he'd be kicked out just that little bit quicker than some of the other ones who maybe would be from the country. That's yeah, what I'd say. Pretty good at kicking people out quickly when they don't like him. Well, yeah, so imagine how quick this could be. Uh, it was a big win for Villarreal against Real Sociedad. Gabba, they throw in their top four spot away. And after a rough start, Kiki Set- is it Setien? Kiki Setien, yeah. Kiki Setien has the yellow submarine humming. Give me some percentages. Yeah, so obviously let's not forget what happened to this team, right? Because they put money into the team, and then all of a sudden somebody shows up with a big checkbook. And, and it's always says, good. Always helps. It says, all right, Unai Emery, over here, front and center. You're coming to Astonville. Personally, I know that you can't make a rule and say this shouldn't be allowed, but I think it's something that they may want to consider is have it so that you can't manage two teams in a top flight league or a, or a big five league in the same season. I, I Really? Why? It just doesn't seem fair to me that in the middle of a season, right, you can't have, you can't use your star player in the middle of a season, right? Mm. Um, Newcastle can come on and say like, hey, Mansoor, here's half a billion, let me get Holland, right? Mm. You wouldn't like that, right? Yeah. If they did it, in, if they did it right now. Yeah. Um, why should it be like that for managers? It can be so incredibly destabilizing. Um, but look, that's how the rules are written. That's fine. Sitien lost some games. I think he's different, very different from, from Unai Emery, obviously much more um, attacking-oriented manager. I don't think they were great in this game. They weathered the storm. Also, Thedad could have had a couple goals. Um, but then they came back, and, uh, and it's a big 2-0 win for them. And, you know, when I look at this, if we assume Atletico are safe in terms of finishing third, Raul Sotirad on 48, Betis on 45, Villarreal on 44, I still believe in Real Sociedad, mainly because Betis are without, um, obviously, Nabil Fakir out for the season. Canales has been out recently as well. But Villarreal, I think this is a huge boost for them, and I think it's going to go down to the wire. Manchester City have apologized after the supporters sang offensive songs about Hillsborough and the Liverpool game. Nadim, it's good that they acknowledged it uh, and are taking steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, to, to to what they can control of their ability. Uh, a lot of clubs just say, Ooh, well, uh, oh, I didn't hear it, you know. Uh, but the question is, when does this end? I mean, I, I feel like this comes up every time Liverpool go away from home. Yeah, it does, especially against teams who are perceived to be their rivals as well. And that's the side of football which I really can't co-sign whatsoever. You know, there's real hurt that is associated with Liverpool Football Club around that disaster. So when people try and turn it into a joke because it's football like I think it very much misses the point and especially I, when it could have been any set of fans exactly I think it makes a, 
it's just, I love strong statements, but I prefer strong actions. And I think those types of people need to know that you can't do that in that space. And when you're out there as a player and you hear it, you feel awkward. When you're out there as a fan and you hear it from your peers, again, it feels awkward. Because I remember 2008, we were playing Man United at Old Trafford and Chris, I think Cristiano Ronaldo's father had just died. And I remember looking up at the City fans, and it wasn't all of them, and this is something that goes across all fans, essentially. But there were just a few of them that had a sign-up saying Coffin's for sale. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what, what are we doing? Because that was such a great day for us because we beat them. But then that sticks in my mind just as much as beating Man United at Old Trafford. Right. And it's a shame because whoever thought that was funny, like, there's no empathy whatsoever. But ultimately, I suppose that's the way football goes. And losing your father, if there's something that I think every human being can have empathy on because everybody's got a father. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but it's, I think the way that people see footballers and other people who are in the public eye, they don't really see them as real people, see them more as characters. And as a consequence, they feel the actions and stuff which they say and do don't really matter because it's just entertainment. But it's not because It's that's, like you're reacting to a show on Netflix. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, FIFA reached an agreement with the European Club Association that would see compensation to clubs who release players to the World Cup rise by nearly 70% for 2026 and 2030 to $355 million. Does that make sense to you, Gav? Yeah, there's also a lot more games as well and more countries involved, so more players involved, so it makes sense that, that it would rise. Is, this is an interesting one. Should the clubs even be compensated in the first place for the mm. players going to the World Cup? Should you just use that money to buy insurance in case the player gets, get, gets injured? I think the World Cup is such a money spinner. Uh, FIFA saying now that you know their, their target is $11 billion for the next cycle, which is about... It's about three times what it was two cycles ago, which gives you a sense. Not many industries have gone up 300%. Um, so obviously clubs clubs want to want a slice of it. Um, I don't know how you calculate what the fair amount is, um, but it's important that everybody's on board uh, and everybody's on the same page because otherwise this thing's not going to get off the ground. Yeah. More FIFA and more ECA, Nadim. They also reached uh, an agreement over the FIFA Club World Cup. Jules and I have weighed in on this and think it can be really important to help develop club football outside of Europe. Others see a cynical money grab and not much more. What's your take? Uh, my take is that both things can be true. I think it is a money they grab. They often are in FIFA world. Exactly. And when there's money involved and entertainment as such, then this, the two things go hand in hand. I think if, there wasn't, if it wasn't going to be marketable, they wouldn't do it. But as a consequence, they know that people like myself will be tuned in to watch some of the best teams, not just from Europe, but from all around the world. So there is a benefit there you know, in terms of growing the game around the world and so on. That's good. That is really good. But it's never for free, is it? It's never for free. But unfortunately, that's just the way the football works. Yeah, look, it's not for free. I think the, the, one of the keys is going to be where's this money going to go? This is effectively going to replace a lot of the summer tours of, of the US or Australia or, or, or Asia, right? Even though it's going to be played in, uh, it's going to be played in June mm. every four years. Um, the money that's going to go to the clubs, to big clubs in Asia, Africa, uh, South and North America and so on, is going to be meaningful. What they're going to have to do, I think, is come up with a mechanism so that these clubs don't become powerhouses all of a sudden. Because if you get $10 million out of this and you're uh, Manchester City or Arsenal, it doesn't move the needle. If you get $10 million out of this and you are um, Esperance from Tunis in, in Africa or Orlando Pirates, you become a powerhouse forever. Mm. Um, so you're going to have to... You're going to have to figure out, be smart about it, hopefully be fair about it. 
Who right? you asking? You asking FIFA to be fair about it? And to go well, no, themselves? no, they're going to negotiate with the clubs, right? Okay. But I think it's in FIFA's interest, in their own self-interest, to have strong club football outside okay. of Europe, right? For obvious reasons, great balance of power, you know, less in hawk to the big European clubs in UEFA. So, yeah, there's a whole Machiavellian aspect to it. Um, so we'll see how these forces counteract each other. You, you don't sound too convinced. Well, and UEFA are also going to say, well, wait a minute. If this is successful, you're going to want to have this every year, and will that diminish the Champions League? Right. So, and so it begins. Watch this space. Yes. Christian Stellini will lead Tottenham out tonight, away to Everton, after being appointed to replace Antonio Conte as interim head coach. Gab, tell me something I don't know about him. So I saw an interview with him where he got quite emotional about this, and I saw a totally different side of it. Um, so in 2012, uh, he was Conte's assistant at Juve, but didn't last very long because he had to step down because he was implicated in um, this is, was the same kind of match-fixing, match-agreeing scandal that Conte was initially banned for, and then later the ban was annulled and he was found not guilty. Stellini had to serve his time. It was the kind of thing where his team had already, I think it was at Siena, I think they'd already won the title, and they said, oh, well, we're playing this other team, they need the points. Supposedly, he said, let's, somebody testified that he said, all right, let's take our foot off the gas and give them the points, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he's banned from football for 12 months or eight months or however long it was, and he says, I need to coach. So he got permission to go and coach for free a team of refugees uh, and asylum seekers from all over the world, from North Africa to, to Afghanistan to Syria. And he got way into it that I think they actually won their tournament. Um, and he talked about how it got him committed to, to volunteering and giving up his own time, not just his own money, because he's, look, he's well compensated, but he's not that rich, right? Uh, and... I don't know. I just saw a whole other side to him. To me, he just looked like sort of like, you know, the gruff guy next to Antonio Conte who fills in for him. But uh, there was a whole other side of it. And I thought it was a bit of an education. Mm. That's all. Sounds good. All right. That brings us to an end. Nadem, thank you for doing such a sterling job in Jules's absence. Jules is going to be back on Thursday. And I'm sure he's going to be all excited. I can tell you all about the UEFA, FIFA Congress, UEFA Congress in Lisbon, which I'm going to in a couple hours, actually. Uh, but don't worry. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll recap everything because it's another big midweek. Until then, love the game. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Real quick, what's the easiest choice you can make? Window seat over middle? Taco Tuesday over salad? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gabjewels, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash gabjewels now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash gabjewels.